Luke once again, uh, chapter 6, and we're going to read beginning in verse 12. Again, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, and we'll read verses 12 through 16 in just a moment. I want to look at another episode uh, from probably the early third of Jesus' earthly ministry in which he determines to associate himself and invest himself in 12 individual men. Uh, men that from everything we can discern uh, seem to be uh, unremarkable men. Uh, none of them seem to have been particularly well-educated. Now, that is not to say they were uneducated. I don't mean that. But they did not seem to come uh, from the elite of that particular uh, culture. Uh, there were men that seemed at times to not get along particularly well. Uh, there were men that were quite flawed. And at times, these men, which we uh, remember as uh, the 12 original apostles of Jesus Christ, uh, sometimes we put them on a pedestal. Well, they did these remarkable things, and God used them to accomplish uh, incredible uh, works there in the early days of the church and of gospel proclamation. And uh, then here I am, and I can't really do much. And so there's just not God's just not going to use me in a in a great way. But it seems to me as we look at these men, these particular men, and, and again, Christ's call uh, to them, that it should be an encouragement to us. It shouldn't be intimidating uh, to us that we cannot be used by God, but it should be an encouragement to us that indeed, if God can use, uh, again, in the words of John MacArthur, 12 ordinary men, and that's exactly what they were, very ordinary men, if he can use these particular men to do the incredible things that still are bearing fruit 2,000 years after they passed off the scene, then certainly God can use us to do incredible things. No matter, no matter how limited you think your giftedness or your intelligence or whatever it is, however you, you would assess yourself, maybe you think, well, I'm in poor health or I can't do this or I can no longer do that. But God can use you and I think the emphasis on the the call of these men that we remember as uh, apostles is not on the incredible uh, things that they could do but it's the incredible things that God did through them that they were simply willing to to learn and they were willing to grow, and maybe, maybe most importantly, they were willing to go and to ultimately suffer for this one that they would know as their Lord and their Master and their Savior. Well, that's the same Jesus that we serve today, and He's still our Lord, and He's still our Master, He's still our Savior, and He's still raising up people that He will send into the world, not necessarily to Tanzania, although don't rule that out, but going into your workplace tomorrow, 
going simply into your home tomorrow, going wherever God places you for the sake of the fame of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the expansion of his kingdom, for the sake of the proclamation of his gospel. So let's look this morning at these ordinary men that God indeed used for an extraordinary purpose. Again, Luke 6, 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Uh, Pray with me, if you will, now. Father, once again, we thank you for your word. It is your word given through your spirit, and it's given for our understanding, for our instruction, for our encouragement. Lord, uh, I pray that you would Give me the ability to communicate your truth and give those who hear the ability to understand and then that your spirit would apply these things so we may walk faithfully uh, with you and before you. Uh, We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus has spent the earliest days of his earthly ministry in the region north of Jerusalem known as Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee, the area in which he grew up uh, adjacent to, to the little town of Nazareth. Jesus has spent his time up there. He's gained a certain amount of fame, a certain amount of credibility. He's proclaimed the truth, and the power of that truth has been transformative for many who heard it. But also that very same truth and the power that he demonstrated in association to that truth has attracted more than a few who would oppose him and who would continue uh, to afflict him uh, throughout the course of his earthly ministry and even oppose the church uh, throughout the balance of their lives. And so while Jesus is in these early stages, traveling around from town to town, speaking in the synagogue, speaking in the open air, he comes to a point in this ministry where he discerns that it is time that he is going to align himself, he's going to closely associate himself with 12 particular men. Uh, They are men that are going to be chosen out of a larger number. Again, there are a number of folks that have been attracted to Jesus. Uh, Many are believing in the message that Jesus Christ has been uh, proclaiming. And so Jesus uh, has, uh, these men have been associated with Jesus. They've heard his message. And whether, it's it's hard to know how much personal interaction they had with Jesus before this particular time. Obviously, we saw last week that Jesus particularly and precisely called Matthew from his tax collection booth and said, you're to come and follow me. And then at a later point, he's included in this band, the smaller band of disciples. And so many times in the Bible, you will see Uh, The word crowds, where there are crowds that are following Jesus. Or even occasionally, uh, they're going to say they're disciples that follow Jesus. Okay, And neither one of them necessarily means that all of those in these groups were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. John specifically says in John 6 that when Jesus taught them some hard things, that many of the disciples heard this 
and then they walked away. And as much as we love to assault and assail the Apostle Peter, when uh, Jesus asked him, do you want to leave now too? This is, kind of, this is getting kind of crazy now, Peter. He said, well, where else are we going to go? It's you that have the words of eternal life. And so it wasn't that Jesus saw the power demonstrated in the miracles. It's Peter heard the message by which his life was being transformed. That was the miracle that kept Peter faithful. And that's the miracle that will keep us faithful, is the work of God in our individual hearts that is heard through the proclamation of his gospel. And so these men heard Jesus' message. They were attracted to him. They saw the unique power being displayed in his ministry. We've seen in this gospel thus far uh, miraculous healings that were certainly verifiable. They were known through the community, and these crowds were coming to Jesus uh, to be healed. And so Jesus decides it is now time. And so as a part of his long-range plan, as a part of his strategic plan for what he's going to work out to establish what will become the church, he aligns himself with these particular men. And so let's look, first of all, in verse 12 at the timing of the call. In these days, in these earlier days, in this early part of his ministry, in the first year of his uh, ministry uh, on earth, Jesus begins this part, this phase of his ministry with prayer. Now, we could stop there and the time would not be misspent. It would, in fact, would be well spent if we simply said, I'm not going to preach anymore today. We're going to spend the balance of this message praying that God would do great things in us, great things among us, and great things through us. That would be time well spent. We're told that Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, who was perpetually filled with the Spirit, he never knew a time in which he was not filled with the Spirit. Now, as I look out on you today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make kind of an assessment. And if I'm wrong, you can correct me as you leave today. You often do, okay? That, you know, the time for me, when I stand in the doorway, that's correction time. I'm kidding. For the pastor. But I'm going to assume that there be at least have been moments in your life since the time of your conver conversion that you have been less than filled with God's Holy Spirit. Would that be a fair assessment? I th I'm going to assume the answer is yes, okay? But Jesus was never less than perfectly filled with the Holy Spirit. He was never perfectly less than an intimate fellowship with the Father. He was never perfect less than the perfect man, and he was God incarnate. Yet before he took a substantially important step in his ministry, he went out and spent the entire night, according to the text, in prayer. Can, now, I've told you before, one of the weaknesses in my preaching is application. You know, I'm not Charles Stanley. I can't give you the 17 ways this text applies to your life, okay? But do y'all see the application of that particular portion of the text? Do I have to spell that one out for you? Let me just say this. You're far less than the incarnate Son of God, okay? Y'all get that part. So go and pray, all right? Just, just in case you missed that one, okay? So Jesus went out knowing that he's about to make a very important decision, a decision that may be the most important decision that's ever been made on the face of the earth. It may be the most consequential decision that any person ever made. 
It's going to be the men who provide the, the somewhat human foundation for the church of the living God. They're going to be the foundation. And so Jesus prayed. And then at the appropriate time in the morning when daylight came, evidently he called a larger group of disciples and then he chose a subgroup. He chose a group of men out of the larger group of men. Now, I remember a very fine pastor coming a number of years ago and did a revival. Many of you may remember Larry Draper, pastor of a fairly large church up in northwest Georgia back in uh, my formative years. And uh, I remember Dr. Draper saying, people have asked him a question, does Jesus play favorites? And he said, well, the answer is no, but he does have intimates. And so these men were to be intimately associated with Jesus Christ for the balance of his earthly ministry. And in fact, we're going to find that, that particularly uh, there are going to be three of these men who are particularly close intimates of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, you know, in our day, when everybody gets a trophy, you know what I'm talking about? You know, it, when everybody gets a trophy, it's unfair to make a, a differentiation between anybody. But Jesus, and I, I truly believe, it was not on the basis of him perceiving these are the sharpest guys in the bunch. The, the, these are going to be the best guys I can get. I can't explain to you the basis upon which Jesus made his choice. Other than it was consistent with the will of the Father and the work of the Spirit, and his own plan for founding the church. And so he calls uh, these men. They, they're familiar with Jesus, and Jesus is making preparation for his succession, in a sense. Well, one of the interesting things that, you know, I, I like talking to small business owners. I, I was one at one time, and, and I just, I mean, I look at the stock market every day. I like reading the business section of the newspaper. I mean, I, I just, I like that kind of stuff. I find it interesting. One of the things that I, I like to ask people is, do you have a succession plan in place? In other words, are you planning for the next generation of, of your business? Are you planning for when you decide to slow down or step down? Or, or what if something catastrophic happens? Do you have a plan in place? Uh, so the business can continue uh, to, to go on. And so there's a sense where Jesus knows, I'm not going to be here long term. Even here at, at North Clay, I'm formulating, I'm thinking, I know y'all think I've been here forever, and that I'll be here forever. Uh, but I haven't been here forever, and I won't be here forever, okay? But... Uh, but I like to think about the future and the health of the church and having just a solid foundation. The church just keeps moving forward for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus knew, I'm not going to be on this earth very long. That's, that's not the plan. My plan is as I come, I invest myself in these men and in others, and they're going to go out into the entirety of the world and they're going to pro proclaim a gospel. But I'm coming to be the final and ultimate sacrifice. I'm coming to be Savior of the world. I'm coming for the cross, okay? And so my time is short. So he puts into plan this succession plan and expansion plan. 
I think I mentioned this in a sermon uh, previously. But when Jesus speaks of greater works than these, you'll do. Uh, I do not believe he has in mind for, the, for any believer, really, to go out and raise the dead or even heal the sick. I think what he's saying is the church is going to go forward and the greatest thing that God does, namely give life to a dead heart, to replace a heart of stone with a heart of flesh, that God is going to do that multiple times over. He's going to do it more times than he ever even did it through his own son's proclamation through the church that has been founded upon his truth and upon his sacrifice. And so greater things are going to come to fruition through the descendants of these 12 men, the spiritual descendants of these uh, 12 men. So he is going to have a plan in place for the growth, for the expansion, for his own succession, and to grow these men, to mature these men. Now, I can say this to each of us. I say this to me as much as I say to you. Grow up. It's time to grow up. Do you all understand what I'm saying? It is time for me to grow up. What do I mean? To grow, to mature in your faith. There is room for growth in all of us. And so Jesus invested in these men to mature these men. And You know, ministry has its blessings and its enjoyment. And it's largely a very enjoyable thing for me, but it has its frustrations and disappointments. Uh, you, get, you, you get hurt when people walk away. You get hurt when you hear people say, you know, I've been doing this 16 years, and you still think that? You know, I, I haven't rooted that out of you by now. Think, you know, on and on and on. Here's the incarnate Son of God spending day and night with these guys. And I know he had to think at times, these guys are still the yahoos I called two years ago. They're still, their heads are still as hard as rock. They're not getting it. And Jesus was the greatest teacher who ever lived. So, it takes time. It takes time to mature a disciple. It takes patience. So, now, these guys, because they knew Jesus, they heard him, and I can't believe that they were not aware of the controversies that the people maybe that they had already admired, the Pharisees and maybe even the Sadducees, although the Sadducees may not have been really that popular because of kind of their elitist attitude. But the, they were already at odds with Jesus. They were already quizzing him. They were already indicting him. And so when Jesus singled them out, very likely, they had at least some suspicion, this could be a tough road. Because we're going to be fighting City Hall. We're going to be fighting against the establishment. We're going to be, we're, we're going to be upsetting the apple cart here. Now, again, we, we can debate to some degree what, what they knew and, and what they understood. But certainly... They knew that Jesus was indeed a controversial individual. But yet, he calls them and they accepted uh, his call to come and to follow him 
in this unique role of apostles or disciples. So let's look at the nature of the call uh, there next. Disciple, apostle. Disciple is used sometimes very broadly of those who believe in Jesus Christ. And let me again remind you, there is no such thing as a convert, as a believer, as a Christian who is not a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot, if you hear somebody, and it, it's often said in testimonies or, you know, you know, back in the day, you know, I was a believer, but I wasn't a disciple. Now, you may have been a very bad disciple, a very rebellious disciple, but if indeed you were regenerate, you're born again, you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? And so these were special disciples. And then even in some broad sense, in fact, this question came up in Africa because I made the comment about there being no more apostles. I said, now, in a general sense, apostle is simply someone being set, being sent, so a messenger, uh, sometimes with a certain amount of authority of the one who sends them. And so in some sense, yes, every person who has ever believed in the Lord Jesus Christ is an apostle because we're sent. We're not called to sit. We are called to be sent. Okay? That was kind of not that was kind of quick, wasn't it? Was, you know, don't get that. Your calling is not just to sit. Okay? Your calling is to be sent. And it may be just sent across. I'm not saying you got to go to Africa. I'm not even saying you got to go to Pennsylvania. But you got to go somewhere. Sent by God to do his work. But there came to be, and one of the interesting things about the Bible, we have to discern what it says and then what it means and how it applies. Does the Bible imply that every person that believes is an apostle in the sense of this original 12 men? Does the, does the Bible mean to imply that everyone or maybe some unique individuals are going to have the same type of ministry and the same type of giftedness of the apostles. Folks, that's an important and an ongoing question. It's, it's really bigger. You know, if, if you've been like, like me, I was Baptist before I was born, except really if you understand what a Baptist is, that's not true. Did you know that? Even though I was on the cradle roll, you cannot be a Baptist until what? What? No. Who said that? Be in my office after church today. I need to talk to you. I, who, who, I missed that. No. You cannot be a Baptist because by definition, the Baptist movement was founded on regenerate church membership. That is the defining element of Baptist, not baptism by immersion it's a sign but we believe in regenerate church membership we believe that that church role in diane's computer in there or in their desk or wherever it is that those people on there you better think about this one this has a lot of implications if if a person's name listen listen to me this is this has an ouch factor in it for me as well as you Every person who is, whose name is on the roll at North Clay Baptist Church 
You're in effect saying to them, I believe you're born again. I believe your sins are forgiven. And if something, if you die tonight, I believe with all my heart you'll be in heaven. You better be careful who you say that to. Because there are people in that church rolling in there who haven't been here in three years or more already. Yeah. But yet, by our silence, we're celebrating they're in good standing with God. And their blood will not be on my hand. We're all good. We're all good here. Better think about that one. All right. So, Jesus calls these men to a unique, once and for all, one-of-a-kind relationship with him. Peter remarks uh, after the, the, the uh, interchange with the rich young ruler in which that young man walks away unconvinced of Jesus and the message that Jesus gives to him. He says, well, we've left everything. They did. I don't understand exactly what went on. Pardon me. Here's the Apostle Peter. He and his wife are going to the crusade, you know, the tent revival where this Jesus boy's been preaching. They go down and Peter goes, well, hon, what you think about that guy? I kind of like him. I don't know, Peter. Man, he's kind of crazy, isn't he? Kind of, kind of, ooh, I don't, he sure is upsetting a lot of people. Well, but yeah, he's just, but he's so powerful and, 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 and he connects with us. And I sense something deep in my heart that what he's telling us is true. And they keep rocking along and then Peter walks in one day. Hun? You're going to have to sell the Mercedes out in the driveway. We're putting a for sale sign in front of the house and the lake house and the beach house. Hon, I'm, I'm going to liquidate the boat, the, the fishing business. Uh, I've signed up to go follow Jesus. You have done what? That's a little extra biblical revelation. But they did. I, I, again, I'm, I've always been kind of curious how they did it. Life was different, different culture. But evidently, they really did leave behind that which was familiar, that which they held dear to align themselves without any reservation with this very strange rabbi that appears out of nowhere with no credentials and no endorsement from any formal religious body other than maybe John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And they choose to risk everything for his mission, his message, and their call or his call upon their lives. And so Jesus reminds them as recorded in John 15, now listen, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Now, that doesn't mean in some sense they didn't choose him. When he chose them, guess what? They chose him. But which choosing came first? His choice of them. And it's always that way. In 
genuine conversion, it's always God as the initiator. It's God doing the preliminary work in the heart to compel these men to leave behind. I mean, Matthew is making bank, folks. He leaves it all behind to follow Jesus. So at the call initiated by Jesus Christ, these men make a once and for all uh, commitment to be unique in the life and the history of the church. And very quickly we find in Luke's gospel him telling us that Jesus sends these guys out and says you're going to have unique power and authority. If you flip over uh, to chapter 9 in the gospel of Luke, you see that Jesus called those 12 men together. He'd already spent some time with them. He already struck, instructed them. Now it's time to do your ministry practicum. Okay? That's what you do in your third year of seminary. When they t- t- send you out and say, Let's show these boys how to do a baptismal service. You know, show, show these boys how to do this or that. So Jesus is sending them out to do some hands-on and practical uh, ministry. And he says that you have authority over demons. You're going to cure diseases, and you're going to proclaim the message that I've been proclaiming, and actually you're going to have power to heal. Now, again, on this trip, don't take any stuff with you. I'm going to provide. You go preach, and if they don't receive you, move on. Move on. And so one of the difficult things in ministry is where do you stay? Where, where do you persist? Where do you move on? Many of us have family members or friends. And you've talked to them to your blue in the face about serious spiritual issues, their need of salvation, their, their, their need of, of repentance. And every time they see you coming, they're, they're, they're bowing up. They're, 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 you can see the hostility because they don't want to hear it from you again. And sometimes... You just keep punching. Sometimes that's the thing to do. Sometimes it's shake the dust off. I've told you. I'm innocent of your blood. It's now on you. I can't, I can't tell you what to do in every situation. But there are times where you have to make that choice. So, unique call, given unique authority. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm obviously, I don't know what y'all did this morning to make me run short of time. Uh, I, I, I just don't get it sometimes. But uh, uh, at any rate, we're, we're just not going to be able to finish this sermon today. It's never happened to me this way before. I, I always just kind of get it. There's no laughing in this church. You know, there were guys laughing in deacons meeting this morning of all places. They're no longer deacons. But look here how Paul frames his description of the church and talking about the, the unity of the church and what, what he plans for the church to live you know, in, in unity uh, together and that, that God has gifted individuals within uh, the, the, the church. And then verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now, I've already mentioned, you know, I I recognize my deficiencies 
as a pastor, as a preacher, as you know, whatever you know, roles I, I play. I don't know them all, and please don't feel free to tell me your perceived shortcomings uh, uh, my, you know, as you leave today. I'd just soon not know that. But one of the things I think I can do and I, that I can be useful for for the balance of my life is to, to help these very sincere trained pastors who are very willingly sacrificing in places like Africa. They're never going to have the opportunity to be trained. Uh, they're, 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 the, the heretical movements are just everywhere because they have all the money in the world to, to do everything. And everything that we do is on a very limited budget. And so God gifts people, he still gifts people to play a role within the church. So the church may be built up and function together, okay? Uh, that's why the church is sometimes referred to as the body of Christ. And again, just as a physical body, the, the body has many functions and parts, okay? And here the, Apollo, the Apostle Paul delineates some of them and he begins with the apostles because really they're kind of the foundation of the church. Now, one of the interesting statements I made in Tanzania that threw, imagine me throwing a bunch of African pastors a curve. You've got me from Somerville, Georgia, speaking Somerville, Georgia English to a group of Tanzanian pastors that speak Swahili, and I'm being translated uh, by somebody that doesn't understand good Somerville, Georgia, King James English. So I don't know what they got, got out of all, all, all of that, but, uh, but at, at any rate, the apostles were uniquely foundational, and, and, and they were quite interested as to why I emphasize there are no more apostles, except in the general sense I've already laid out to you, because there are, there are now many who want to be identified as apostles. And so we're going to come back to it next week. Just let me suffice it to say it was a one-time, one once and for all, foundational office uniquely designated by Jesus to a small group of individuals so that the church would be founded on the work of Christ, the truth of his message, and then it would be carried out by prophets, we'll come back to that later, by evangelists, by shepherds, that word is pastor, poimane, shepherd, and teachers, okay? And so really a pastor is a pastor-teacher. I mean, I've, if, you, if you've ever seen John MacArthur's designation, his designation is pastor-teacher. I think that's biblical. Harry Reader down at Briarwood identifies himself as a pastor-teacher. I'm afraid y'all would think it's very presumptuous of me if I put on my cards pastor-teacher, so I just leave it at pastor. But they go together. We were talking this morning. You know, a uh, seminary professor told a friend of mine, said, most of you boys are not going to be great preachers. Probably none of you will be known of as great preachers. But all of you can be effective pastors if you love your people and tell them the truth. And, and so, now, you cannot be a pastor, a shepherd, without preaching the truth. Now, it may not sound real eloquent. It may not be incredibly compelling all the time, but it's got to be truth. But you love your people. You shepherd your people through the difficult times of life with the truth. Okay? And so... I carry on the work that's been handed down through these foundational individuals, namely these apostles that Jesus called on, on this day, 
that Luke describes for a particular moment in his history, for a particular plan that go, would go far beyond his life and ultimately death and resurrection from the grave. Okay, And so these men, as we'll see next time, they were not in any shape, form, or fashion special. They were very, very ordinary. But I think the key for our encouragement from their lives and their ministries is that because of the work of God's Holy Spirit and their conviction about the truth of the gospel they proclaimed, God did extraordinary, extraordinary things through them. And folks, he's still doing the same thing. He's still doing the greater works than these. If you proclaim the gospel and one individual is saved, guess what? That's a greater work. That is a greater work. And so we'll come back to this next time, but continue to think. These guys are not there to, for you to be humble, to be uh, a mirror for your Im uh, imitation. Okay? They're a mirror for your identity to see that God uses very simple, very fallible, very frail men to accomplish great things. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your word, for your truth, uh, for the reality of your presence and your power in us and uh, among us. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would be encouraged, that we would be equipped. God, that's your plan. You enlisted these 12 and they enlisted others and for 2,000 years we've been enlisting. We've been enlisting. We've been enlisting and entrusting this message of the gospel to others who will be reliable uh, to rightly divide for the growth of your kingdom, for the growth of your church. Lord, I pray uh, your blessings on those gathered here today. May we be found faithful. Uh, may we serve you in a way that pleases you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.